Hi everyone. Hope you enjoyed the last episode. In today's episode, we will be discussing the coronary circulation and the conducting system of the heart. The heart receives 5% of the total cardiac output, which equates to 250 ml per minute. During exercise, the blood flow may increase by up to 5 times. The heart receives its blood supply from two coronary arteries, the right and the left. The left coronary artery arises from the posterior aortic sinus and it gives off two branches the left anterior descending artery and the left circumflex artery the left anterior descending artery runs along the interventricular groove and it runs towards the apex of the heart it then turns around the inferior border of the heart to anastomose with the posterior interventricular branch of the right coronary artery the smaller circumflex branch of the left coronary artery follows the atrioventricular groove and turns around the posterior surface of the heart and commonly anastomoses with the terminal end of the right coronary artery the left coronary artery mainly supplies the left ventricle the left atrium and major portion of the interventricular septum in some cases it may also supply the sinoatrial node the right coronary artery arises from the anterior aortic sinus it runs along the atrioventricular groove at the inferior border of the heart it then turns to follow the posterior interventricular groove on the posterior aspect of the heart its largest branch the posterior interventricular artery then head heads towards the apex of the heart and anastomoses with the left anterior descending artery it also gives a right marginal artery at the inferior border that runs towards the apex of the heart the continuation of the right coronary artery then anastomoses with the circumflex artery which is a branch of the left coronary artery The right coronary artery is supplying the sinoatrial node in 60% of the people and the atrioventricular node in 90% of the people. It also supplies the right atrium, the right ventricle and posterior inferior portion of the left ventricle. The venous drainage of the heart is a bit complex. One third of the drainage is by small veins called the anterior cardiac veins. which open directly into the right atrium whereas the remaining drainage is by the coronary sinus which is located in the right atrium it has the following tributaries the great and left marginal veins which follow the course of the left coronary artery and the right marginal middle and small veins which follow the course of the right coronary artery A small proportion of the venous drainage is by the thebaian veins which directly open into the left side of the heart and contributes the true shunt. Does all of the heart obtain its blood supply from the coronary arteries? Well no. The inner 1 mm of the ventricle obtains blood via diffusion. 
Now that we understand which part of the heart is supplied by which coronary vessel, it will be easier for us to link the changes in the ECG to the uh, diseased coronary vessel. We all remember that leads 2, 3 and AVF of the ECG view the inferior surface of the heart. Lead V1 and V4 view the anterior surface. Leads 1, AVL, V5 and V6 look at the lateral surface. And V1 and AVR will look at the right atrium. So when the ECG shows changes in the anteroseptal region of the heart, that is in the leads V1 to V4, it will indicate a disease of which vessel? Since the anteroseptal region is supplied by the left anterior descending artery, so anteroseptal changes will indicate a disease of the left anterior descending artery. When there are isolated inferior infarcts, they will indicate a disease of the right coronary or the distal circumflex artery. And the lateral infarct, as the lateral surface of the heart is supplied by the proximal circumflex artery, a lateral infarct will indicate a disease in the proximal circumflex artery. Now let us look at the oxygen consumption in the heart and how, uh, how it differs from the skeletal muscle. The heart has the highest oxygen consumption per tissue mass of any organ in the body and it requires around 10 ml of oxygen per minute per 100 gram at rest which may increase to 70 ml per minute per 100 gram during heavy exercise. In order to support such high oxygen consumption, the heart at rest extracts approximately 70% of its coronary blood oxygen co content and in contrast, the skeletal muscle and the rest of the body on an average just extract 25% of the arterial oxygen content. So the only way to increase the oxygen supply to the heart is by increasing the blood flow. What are the factors that control the blood supply to the heart? These include drugs, blood viscosity, autonomic nervous system, autoregulation, metabolites and apart from that cardiac cycle and patency of the coronary vessels. How does the cardiac cycle affect the blood flow of the heart? So we all know that heart is supplied by the left coronary vessels during the systole. Let us look at the, how this works technically. This depends on the coronary perfusion pressure. The coronary perfusion pressure is the difference between the aortic pressure and the intraventricular pressure. Let us look at the coronary perfusion pressure in the left ventricle and the right ventricle during systole and diastole separately. During systole, in the left ventricle, the coronary perfusion pressure will be equal to aortic pressure that is systolic blood pressure minus the left ventricular and systolic pressure which will be 120 minus 120 millimeters of mercury and that will be zero. So the left ventricular coronary perfusion pressure during systole is zero. In diastole, the coronary perfusion pressure in the left ventricle is equal to diastolic blood pressure which represents the aortic pressure minus the left ventricular and diastolic pressure which will represent the intraventricular pressure and that will be equal to 70 minus 10 which is 60. So the blood supply to the left ventricle will occur during only the diastole. However, 
in the right ventricle during the systole, the coronary perfusion pressure is systolic blood pressure minus the right ventricular end systolic pressure that is 120 minus 25 that is 95 millimeters of mercury. In diastole, the right ventricular coronary perfusion pressure is diastolic BP minus right ventricular end diastolic pressure which is 70 minus 5 that is 65 millimeters of mercury. Thus, the coronary blood flow to both atria and the right ventricle occurs throughout the cardiac cycle. Apart from the cardiac cycle, we already saw some other mechanisms that are responsible for controlling the blood supply to the heart. For example, the autoregulation, which uh, works between 60 to 180 millimeters of mercury of the coronary perfusion pressure by vasodilatation or vasoconstriction to maintain the blood flow to the heart. Furthermore, metabolites like adenine nucleotides, potassium, prostaglandin, hydrogen ions, lactic acid or carbon dioxide which are released from the myocardial cells also play a, ro play a role in autoregulation and match the delivery of oxygen to the demands. The autonomic nervous system has also weak effect on the coronary blood flow. The beta receptors increase the blood flow by causing vasodilation and the alpha adrenoreceptors decrease the blood flow by causing vasoconstriction. Stimulation of the parasympathetic nervous system causes vasodilation and bradycardia. An increase in blood viscosity will reduce the blood flow to the myocardium which is uh, seen in the Hagen-Poisel equation. There are some methods of increasing the coronary blood flow in patients with the ischemic heart disease such as drugs like glycerol trinitrate that causes coronary vasodilatation, beta blockers that will slow the heart rate and therefore increase the time allowed for, for diastole, antithrombotic agents like the streptokinase that will break down the thrombus and thus improve the blood flow and then there is coronary angioplasty and bypass grafting that may improve or bypass areas of inadequate flow. Now, if we had to measure the coronary blood flow, it can be done so using the FIX principle. The FIX principle describes the fact that the amount of tracer substance taken up by the organ is equal to the product of the blood flowing through it and the concentration difference of the substance across it. Thus, the flow is equal to the uptake of the substance divided by the arteriovenous difference. This method can be performed using nitrous oxide or, or argon. Now, let us look at the conducting system of the heart. Pacemaker cells are specialized cardiac muscle cells and they are found in the sinoatrial node, atrioventricular node, the bundle of his and the bundle branch system of Purkinje fibers. These pacemaker cells exhibit two properties that are specific to them, the automaticity and rhythmicity. Automaticity means these cells are able to undergo slow spontaneous depolarization leading to the initiation of the action potential. Rhythmicity means having an intrinsic ability to maintain a regular discharge rate of action potentials. The conducting system of the heart starts with the sinoatrial node 
which is located at the junction of the right atrium and the superior vena cava. This area normally discharges more rapidly than the rest of the conducting system, thus setting the rate of contraction. From here, action potentials are conducted to the atrioventricular node via three bundles of atrial fibers, the anterior called Bachmann, middle called Wenckebach, and the posterior that is thoral tracts. Atrioventricular node lies in the atrial septum, just above the opening of the coronary sinus. Normally, it is the only means of conduction between the atria and the ventricles. It gives rise to the bundle of his, which descends down the interventricular septum, then divides into the right and left bundle branches. Purkinje fibers spread from the ends of the bundle branches and supply the rest of the ventricles. Looking at the autonomic innervation of the heart, we know that the heart is supplied by the parasympathetic and sympathetic fibers. The parasympathetic supply to the heart comes from the vagus nerve, whereas the sympathetic supply to the heart comes from the cervical and upper thoracic sympathetic ganglia. These autonomic nerve fibers are arranged in superficial and deep cardi cardiac plexi. The sinoatrial and atrioventricular nodes receive both vagal and sympathetic innervation. Vagal fibers are cardioinhibitory, slowing the rate of conduction of action potentials through the atrioventricular node. Sympathetic fibers are cardioacceleratory, increasing the rate of conduction of action potentials through the atrioventricular node. Let us describe the action potential in the pacemaker cells. Before we describe that action potential, I would recommend you to look at the diagram of the pacemaker action potential for a better understanding. The pacemaker action potential is also called as the slow response action potential and it is divided into three distinct phases. Phase 4 is a phase of resting membrane potential, phase 0 is the rapid depolarization phase and phase 3 is the repolarization phase. Unlike neurons and the rest of the myocardium, the pacemaker cells do not have a stable resting membrane potential. What they have is a decaying membrane potential. As a result, they demonstrate a spontaneous diastolic depolarization, which we know as automaticity. Now, why does this happen? It happens because pacemaker cells have increased permeability to the sodium and calcium ions. Thus, sodium ions and to a lesser extent calcium ions move across the cell membrane into the cell down the concentration gradient. Thus, the charge of the cell starts becoming more positive with respect to the outside. This has been called the inward sodium funny current. The membrane potential is most negative that is minus 60 millivolt at the maximum diastolic depolarization at the beginning of phase 4. From this point the membrane potential slowly increases and reaches the threshold potential of minus 40 millivolt. At this point T-type calcium channels open and there is a rapid influx of calcium ions into the cell resulting in depolarization and phase 0 begins. The membrane potential rises to reach a peak of plus 20 millivolt. Then the third phase that is the phase of repolarization occurs 
due to the potassium ion efflux slowly returning the membrane potential down to minus 60 millivolt. At the beginning of phase 4, membrane pumps exchange sodium and calcium ions for potassium ions which move back into the cell. Let us now describe the action potential in a cardiac myocyte. Again, I would recommend that you have a diagram of the cardiac action potential in front of you. There are five distinct phases in a cardiac muscle action potential. That is phase 0, 1, 2, 3, 4. Phase 4 is the resting potential which is mainly governed by the potassium ions and is approximately minus 90 millivolt. An action potential is initiated when the myocyte is depolarized to a threshold potential of minus 65 millivolt and this is normally caused by transmission from an adjacent myocyte. At the threshold potential, fast voltage gated sodium channels open leading to an inward current which depolarizes the membrane rapidly to plus 30 millivolt. This initial upstroke is called phase 0 and this is owing to the fast sodium influx. The gradient of the line is almost vertical and this is similar to that of a normal nerve cell. The phase 1 is also called the partial repolarization phase which occurs as the sodium channels start closing, the potassium channels start opening. However, during the initial depolarization at a threshold of minus 40 millivolt, voltage gated L-type calcium channels are also activated, which allow positively charged calcium ions to flood into the cells. As a result, a plateau phase of the phase 2 is seen owing to the L-type calcium channels. These offset the action of potassium channels and maintain depolarization. During this phase, no further depolarization is possible and this is an important point to demonstrate and explains why tetany is not possible in cardiac muscle. This time period is the absolute refractory period which begins at the beginning of the phase 0 and continues for another 250 milliseconds. The phase 3 occurs when the L-type calcium channels close and potassium efflux begins causing repolarization. Uh, this marks the beginning of the relative refractory period and which occurs during phase 3 and phase 4. The phase 4 occurs when the sodium potassium pump restores the ionic gradients by pumping 3 sodium out of the cell in exchange for 2 potassium. The overall effect is therefore the slow loss of positive ionic charge from within the cell. Now, how does the pacemaker potential differ from the action potential in the cardiac myocytes? The pacemaker action potential shows spontaneous diastolic depolarization which is not seen in the cardiac myocyte. Also, pacemaker action potential has a phase 4 membrane potential which is less negative that is minus 16 millivolt compared to minus 90 millivolt in cardiac myocyte. The threshold potential is similarly less negative in the pacemakers of minus 40 millivolt compared to that of minus 65 millivolt in cardiac myocyte. The slope of phase 0 is less steep in the pacemakers 
due to the opening of T-type calcium channels leading to calcium influx. However, it is much more steep in the cardiac myocyte. It is almost vertical due to the opening of fast sodium channels leading to a rapid sodium influx and a more rapid depolarization. The pacemaker depolarization is a single phase that is phase 3 whereas in the cardiac myocyte it displays an early rapid repolarization of phase 1, a plateau phase that is phase 2 and a final rapid repolarization that is phase 3. This brings us to the end of today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed yourselves and if you liked the episode, please come back and listen to more content. Please subscribe and share. Thank you.